program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have an amazingly full show we got them coming in from all over the place tonight so check out this lineup we're going to be continuing our discussion about chesley chris Last week, of course, we started talking about the late Miss USA uh, pageant winner, Miss Chesley Chris, as she suddenly and tragically took her own life last week. And continuing the discussion this week, we're going to be welcoming a current uh, Miss World Universal, Miss Akila Douglas. She's going to be talking to us about pageant life and the trials and pressures and the expectations of being in the pageantry industry uh, from a 2021 winner of Miss World Universal. We're also going to be joined by Tamara Harrison. There's a lot happening across the border in Canada with that freedom convoy of truckers that are protesting all across the beautiful country of Canada. And we're going to have our northern friend Tamara Harrison to break down the particulars of what's happening there. And also, I am proud to welcome for the very first time Mr. DJ. That's right. He goes by the name of DJ, uh, a founder of DJ and the Experience Gospel Group in Southern California. He has a latest project out there produced by our friends Official Biz that, of course, consists of Dwayne the Rugged Cousins and Miss Bunny Hearts. DJ is going to be here talking about his latest project that is facing an impending release. So that's DJ coming up tonight. And so uh, you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show with Miss Tamara Harrison after this. Hey, everybody. This is Bunny Hearts. And you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Okay, we are back. KCWGTheTruth.com. This program's called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. Well, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, with all the worldwide events happening right now, including the start of the Olympics and what's happening in the Ukraine and Russia and now with France and Emmanuel Macron getting involved with that, and of course, the United States sticking its interests in over there, we have something happening just to the north of us with our wonderful northern neighbors in Canada. Uh, I want you to take a listen to this clip. We have a very special guest on the line, and there is something called the Freedom Convoy that has really caused a lot of um, noise, for the lack of a better term, in the wonderful city of Ottawa, Canada. So stay tuned before we bring our guests in. I want you to listen to this clip. Stand by. This convoy is all about freedom. It's not only with the truck drivers, it's actually for every single person, you, me, Buddy down the road, it doesn't matter. Um, 
It's all about your free choice. So you see the situation for some is quite dire. I'm going to fast forward a little bit to see if we can hear from a very important voice in the nation of Canada. Stand by. I get it. I hear you. But we, we have to let the, the people of Ottawa live their lives. That was Doug Ford. I want to be very clear. We are not intimidated by those who hurl insults and abuse at small business workers and steal food from the homeless. We won't give in to those who fly racist flags. We won't cave to those who engage in vandalism or dishonor the memory of our veterans. Joining me for this segment, ladies and gentlemen, I am proud to welcome back Tamara Harrison. You've heard this voice before. She is one of the contributors to the wonderful Where's My Tiara project that we covered a few years ago. It's hard to believe it's been a few years. And we spoke recently, I think, at the onset of the pandemic. So I'm really happy to have her back in 2022. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our dear northern border friend, Tamara Harrison. Miss Harrison, are you there? I am. Hello, Rome. Nice to speak to you again. Oh, it's been a minute. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, what in the world is going on? It's a lot happening. This started with a company I found out, Tamara, called Canada Unity. They originally tried to start something like this, and they didn't initially get traction, but uh, it started to develop some momentum as people started to become more and more frustrated with the vaccine mandate, particularly truck drivers, as it was soon mandated that they had to get vaccinated before they could start crossing uh, into certain countries. So what can you tell us? You're there in Canada right now. Um, what has it been like to experience this right there in Canada, Ms. Tamara Harrison? Well, it's been both exciting and uh frustrating and and mad making uh, for me. Um, mm. I'm a lawyer by trade. I'm also a writer um, by <laughs> for pleasure. So I write fiction, but I'm a semi-retired lawyer. Okay. Um, so I've been following the uh, various uh, health orders, the various changes in the laws and the rules since the beginning of this pandemic, uh, you know, with interest as someone that has uh, legal training. And of course, also as someone, you know, that has family and friends that are affected by this. And then now we have this, uh, this trucking convoy, which is someone that very much believes in uh, freedom of expression and the right of free speech, the right to uh, peacefully demonstrate. Um, I thought this was a wonderful thing when it first emerged. And um, since I've been struggling to uh, 
read and secure news that provides a balanced view of what's happening. Um, instead, what I've seen is uh, divisiveness. We have news on, on one side of the spectrum saying that um, this is all about freedom, and we have news on the other side of the spectrum saying that this um, has been funded by and is uh, engendered by uh, racist and uh, extreme right-wing views. And I've been struggling over the past, I guess, week and a half or so uh, to determine just what is really happening. Oh, absolutely. Can you talk to us about the inception of this? Because you said initially you thought this was a good idea. So in your view, what was the premise of this whole movement? And what was it about it that seemed like it was uh, within, well within the realms, realms and confines of what peaceful protest is really uh, driven for? Sure. Uh, so when it began, uh, and I do follow the news fairly closely. So when this convoy began in uh, in BC, which actually is where I live now, um, about a week and a half ago, uh, the federal government's vaccine mandate for truckers who do cross-border trucking to the U.S. had just come into effect. It was something like January 15th. Um, or shortly thereafter. So basically, uh, uh, long haul truck drivers uh, that are Canadians that would normally do cross border routes to the States uh, were suddenly not able to uh, cross the border and, and do their job. Um, an important uh, factor in this, I think, is that in Canada, the federal government has very little ability to uh, make laws on people's livelihoods, things like trucking, things like um, uh, we call it uh, property and civil rights is sort of what we call it under our constitutional uh, division of powers here in Canada, not unlike there in the US where your president recently uh, tried to put in a vaccine mandate for I believe it was um, large corporations and I believe that was overturned by your Supreme Court. Yes, it was. Correct. Okay, so I'm I'm up to date on that. Um, yes. So it's really a similar move, except in this case, it hasn't gone to court yet. Okay. Uh, so we've got this convoy that began, I think, by truckers and also people uh, really supporting uh, vaccine freedom, medical freedoms. Certainly, that's uh, how I saw it begin. Yeah. Uh, it definitely uh, snowballed and got. Uh, got bigger as the convoy uh, continued all the way across Canada, which is um, from east to west. It's uh, about the same distance as the US. So this was a long rock convoy. This was a long road trip. Mm. Um, and then we saw the, uh, the media coverage of it uh, begin and then change. And similarly, we saw the political, um, our political leaders begin to comment on it and their comments begin to began to change and also flip-flop. And I think that's kind of where we're sitting now is that uh, the information's still coming in, uh, but it's not very consistent. Oh my goodness. Okay, so as a matter of principle, what they're fighting for, can you talk to us a little bit more about that stance and how the messaging changed as a result of the duration and the persistence of this convoy? Sure. Um, so again, just as a private citizen, I mean, I'm only able to gather what information I can from what I can personally observe as well as what I can observe uh, 
through the media and, and through talking to others. So I'll try to take a, a balanced um, a balanced approach based on what I've seen. Sure. Um, it seems that the convoy uh, and its goals expanded from ending the vaccine mandate on long haul truckers to uh, just a, more of a widespread protest against the ongoing fairly restrictive uh, COVID measures that are still in place in Canada. Uh, so we still have restrictions on our ability to assemble and gather with uh, large groups. We still have masking mandates across Canada in public. Uh, various jurisdictions uh, have uh, vaccine mandates in various um, professions. I think healthcare professions across Canada largely have vaccine mandates in place. Uh, and I think it's really important to point out also that uh, Canadians have been vaccinated to the tune of, I want to say about 83% of Canadians yeah. received two doses of vaccine. So mm -hmm. this is a populace that has largely gone along with the rules, uh, played by the rules. Um, you know, we're just trying to get through this difficult period. And yet uh, we have this enormous nationwide protest against the ongoing restrictions. Uh, so what that says to me is that uh, people are speaking up and saying, you know what, um, we've been safe, we've been careful for almost two full years now, and it's time for this to stop. Um, we've seen flip-flopping from the uh, official opposition in our uh, federal parliament, so that's the Conservative Party, the right-leaning right party, uh, and we've had politicians from that group both supporting the convoy, um, deriding the convoy and flip-flopping on the position that the convoy is taking. Um, so again, um, I mean, it comes back to uh, a question of, of who do you believe and what direction do we see this going? Uh, from my perspective, from the perspective of the right to uh, demonstrate and the right to peaceful demonstration, uh, most of the media that I've seen has shown um, basically it's, um, it's kind of a party. It's kind of a carnival-like atmosphere in Ottawa with a few uh, bad apples carrying uh, flags that they shouldn't be carrying and, and that don't seem to be supported by the, um, by the vast majority of protesters. I've seen footage of uh, protesters shoveling sidewalks, giving away food to the homeless, cleaning um, statues and uh, the war memorial uh, downtown, because of course there had been a widely publicized uh, event of somebody being disrespectful at the war memorial, memorial early in the, in the demonstration. Um, but what I'm seeing and certainly across Canada, I just recently took a road trip back to my home province. Uh, there's a lot of Canadian flags. Uh, there's a lot of people um, that seem to be uh, seem to be pulling together, and I think that part of this is definitely a good thing. I'm just interested now in the gulf and the, the breadth of the uh, variation of opinions about what the actual end goal should be. Well, I, I think you raise really the two primary issues here, and I'm going to to speak to both of those because I think they're they're both equally important. Okay. Uh, first, the ending of the mandates and the restrictions. And secondly, um, the role of our government and, and whether uh, our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau should be removed or our leaders should otherwise somehow be, be altered. Um, and those are really two very distinct issues. So mm. as for the first issue of uh, lifting mandates and restrictions, 
Following the news here in Canada and particularly following the advice of our public health officers, both in Ottawa and uh, where I live in BC now, who we have um, a really strong, very excellent communicator, Dr. Bonnie Henry is the, is the public health lead in BC. And their messaging over the last uh, 60 days or so since Omicron has become the predominant variant has been very much that we are going to have to now learn to live with COVID and essentially that just about everyone's going to get Omicron. And certainly we've seen uh, the public health guidance changing along those lines such that uh, we're not doing mandatory uh, testing for everybody that's symptomatic anymore. We've reduced the uh, isolation periods for people that have been exposed. Um, and certainly a couple of provinces have already indicated that it's fully their intention to uh, drastically reduce and perhaps eliminate restrictions uh, within the next month. So at the same time as we've got this uh, protest happening um, that is really um, um, dividing Canadians, the very same time we've got uh, public health and politicians saying we're pretty close to reducing restrictions anyway. So I'm not really sure why we have people so up in arms about this protest that's essentially asking for things that the government has already started hinting that it will be doing within a very short time. Right. Um, the second issue, which is one of great interest to me with my background, is the question of uh, political leadership in Canada and the question of whether uh, this protest is really asking for the removal of uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. Um, there's a very poor fit between that request, if in fact that's what they're asking for, and how our government system actually works in Canada. So in September 2021, uh, Canadians were called to a national general election and re-elected a, a minority government of, of liberals headed by Justin Trudeau. So what that means is it's not unlike your situation in the US where if you have a, a president that's a Democrat and a Congress that's Republican, you have sort of a balancing of power uh, in the sense that some things will get done but others won't because you've got both parties in power in different ways. In Canada, when you have a minority government, what it means is one of the uh, minority parties or one of the parties holding less seats um, will have to form a coalition with the sitting government in order for that government to continue to be in power. So that's the situation that we have uh, politically in Canada and a budget hasn't yet been delivered by uh, the governing liberal, Justin Trudeau's uh, governing liberals, and that's forthcoming in approximately March. So uh, within three to four weeks, they'll be delivering a budget, which must be voted on and passed by the parliament as a whole. So a majority of the sitting uh, members of parliament, failing which the government will fall. So we've got a situation where we have this uh, Canada-wide protest against the sitting government, a sitting government that's a minority government and by definition, one that really can only continue in power if it's entered into and stays in a coalition with some of the other political parties. Mm. So what I find interesting is 
I'm not sure why uh, this group or groups that are unhappy with the federal government haven't been lobbying uh, the other parties, their uh, individual members of parliament to basically vote against bills that the governing liberals uh, will be introducing within the next month or so. That's the way you take down a government in Canada. Mm. How about that? Is this an election year for Prime Minister Trudeau? Well, no, and that's the funny thing. He was just reelected this last September. That's so awesome. really, it's a new government that has yet to be tested and that has yet to be tested by uh, passing a budget in Parliament. So like I said, it, in a way, it's still, a, um, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's in its um, interim initial stages. And the way to get rid of this government is to vote down a budget bill in the next month. Um, and strangely, I have not even seen or heard discussion of that in the media, and I'm not really understanding why. Very interesting. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're talking to Tamara Harrison. She's a resident over in Canada, and she's talking to us about the system of governing uh, in lieu of this freedom convoy of truckers that have in, wow, they, they've enacted a wide-scale nationwide protest that has spanned the east-west perimeter of the Canadian border. It's amazing. And so you're talking to us about Trudeau now. He's not very popular right now, is he? I think I saw somewhere that his approval rating is under 40%. Is, is, does that sound about accurate? Yeah. So, and again, it's important to note that even though he was reelected just uh, five or so months ago, he was reelected by a minority of uh, Canadian voters. Uh, because we do have a splintered political system now where we have, oh God, one, two, three, five different parties holding seats in our national parliament. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly his approval rating has gone down since the, uh, since the election. Um, so yeah, we, it's really an interesting time where uh, he wants to be, I think, speaking for Canadians as a whole, but perhaps Canadians uh, as a whole are not uh, unified, at, you know, perhaps even as unified as we were last September when okay. we went to the polls. Absolutely. Well, in true political form in the United States, the right wing of our government has latched onto this and followers of the former president here, Trump, are in Starks and staunch support of what's happening there with the Freedom Convoy, including uh, the usual characters, Trump, even Elon Musk has thrown his hat in the ring, as well as Fox News television commentator Tucker Carlson. They recently shut down some of the funding from a GoFundMe. They I saw that. Noticed that the uh, the money stream coming in from there was not you know, indigenous from Canadians. And so they froze the account. And then since that time, a right-wing Christian group, I think, has kind of taken up the call. I think it's called Give, Send, Go. And they've raised about $3.5 million in a couple of years. So I don't know how soon we're going to see the end of this, Tamara. Um, how do you see this playing out in lieu of all those different political interests that have to be satisfied in the parliament there? People on the ground, I've seen that they're tired. They want to get to work. Their babies can't sleep. Uh, students can't study, businesses have been impacted and shut down. And it's not that it's a, a the wide majority of Canadians there, but because they're trucks, I mean, they take up a lot of space, right? They take up a lot of real estate, you know, on the ground and across the country. Um, thank you for being so transparent with us, but what are your thoughts about how this is ultimately gonna play out? 
You know, I'm essentially an optimist and that probably underlies my view that um, this is going to all be peacefully uh, dealt with. I think also it's my optimism and my sense of Canadians that as it's unfolded thus far, um, you know, regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, I, I think it's difficult to come to any conclusion other than that, um, that it's peaceful, it's respectful, yes, it's loud, yes, it's disruptive, uh, but that's the nature of protest, that's the nature of civil disobedience, if you want to call it that. Um, and it's it's my hope, and certainly all indications within Canada thus far have been that um, you know that they are protesting lawfully. The Ottawa police um, has really been very, um, I think, balanced in their dealing with it. Uh, there haven't been a lot of arrests. Um, only I think in the last day have they gone in and actually started confiscating um, fuel and. Um, arresting people for mischief and sort of minor charges such as that. But again, the fact that people are being charged with mischief, which is like a misdemeanor in the US, um, is really suggestive to me that uh, this is largely a lawful protest. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how long it's going to go. Um, but certainly um, their voices are being heard um, by some. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, I mean, my um, my review in my own mind of how our pol Canadian political system works and how we have a minority government that um, that can fall if enough uh, members of parliament vote against a budget in the in the ensuing months. Uh, there is a remedy for this, and it's my hope that uh, um, you know those that are unhappy with our government continue to follow lawful means of. Um, objecting to current policy and using those lawful processes um, that certainly are there and that have certainly been used uh, numerous times in the past. Oh, absolutely. And one last thing, uh, you talked earlier briefly about some of the flags that were flying there and these movements, you know, can sometimes attract the attention of some fringe movements elsewhere. And that's why people such as the Proud Boys here in the United States have kind of uh, latched on to this, as I said a moment ago, but there's also a very disturbing racist strain in some of the protests as well. And given what we just came through out of 2020 with Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and all of those massive protests that I'm sure uh, Canadians were privy to as well, there's a, still a sensitivity around restrictions and the, the kind of people that these issues tend to attract on either side. And the protests largely, I'm, I'm not there, but they tend to look fairly homogenous and white. So before we let you go, can you speak a little bit to the race component of this and the degree to which that could also fall into your optimism as something that could be quelled eventually over time? So that is a really difficult issue, as you pointed out, and um, race relations in Canada are similar but different uh, to the US. Um, we have very significant problems uh, with a socioeconomic divide uh, between um, settler or immigrant Canadians and Indigenous Canadians, so the First Nations that were here for you know thousands of years before uh, colonists came here. Um, so really our racial divide um, is, is primarily um, between those groups, uh, unlike in, in the US where you have a much different history. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, and, and having viewed a lot of the footage myself, it, it does appear to be very uh, hom 
homogenous um, white male group. Having said that, I have seen a great deal of footage um, showing uh, groups of First Nations people um, singing, beating drums, dancing. I personally follow some Indigenous people on uh, social media that have been posting in, in favor of the of the convoy. Um, I've also had uh, friends of mine um, personally uh, caution me against uh, throwing my hat in uh, with a group that I don't know who they really are. And this was in response to a post that I made simply supporting peaceful protest. Right. So what's happening here, I think, as you've pointed out, Rome, is um, you have some of these troubling movements throwing in and taking advantage of uh, the publicity that this movement is mm -hmm. getting, uh, but not necessarily representing, um, at least from what I've seen, um, really what this movement is largely all about. Yes. Um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, um, when you see the faces in the crowd, um, it is a little bit troubling. Uh, to see that it seems to be a homogenous group. Um, but again, uh, another group that I followed um, for about the first week of the protest was a group of um, Sikhs. So these would be um, a particular um, religion of uh, mm -hmm. people from India that have emigrated to Canada. And there's a great many Sikhs uh, that are truck drivers. So there was a large group of them that was actually supporting this convoy, which suggests to me at least that, I, I mean, it's certainly not you know, completely right wing or, or completely um, right or white, which was something that was very important for me to look for because I'm not interested in supporting, um, you know, a far right or an extremist cause. Mm. Um, but that's been some of the difficulty is that you have to follow numerous news sources um, to see the gamut of of what's going on, and then we're still called upon to make our own decisions. Yes. Uh, which um, you know we can only hope that we're getting the an accurate representation from the media that we watch. Absolutely. Well, you certainly got your work cut out for you, but I sure appreciate you coming through to share these insights with us and trying to call it right down the middle. You did an amazing job, Tamara. I'd like to have you back when these elections come off, uh, when he's announcing his budget. Will you come back again and join us? I, I would love to. It's always a pleasure speaking to you, Rome. This is Akiva Douglas, Ms. World Universal 2021, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul.
Okay, we are back. KCWG, thetruth.com. This program's called Psychotic Bum School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we are continuing to talk about the tragic loss of Chesley Christ, Miss USA, who suddenly and dramatically took her own life over the weekend. The world in general is kind of a bit of a, a state of shock about it, and particularly those that may... Uh, share her world in the pageantry industry and we just happen to have somebody on the line I'm really excited to talk to her to get a little insight as to what that world may be uh, privy to for her um, man it's heavy and I'm curious to see what words of are upon this sister's heart so uh, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bum School the good sister Akila Douglas hey Akila how are you I'm great how are you oh fantastic so I hear that you are in the pageantry industry, and anytime you share an industry with someone who meets a fate such as this, it hits a little differently, does it? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, just every time I open my timeline, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, I have so many pageant community friends from all different systems, and it's her face over and over and over again. Everyone's trying to figure out, like, how did this happen? This was incredibly shocking for our community for sure absolutely so what have you come up with thus far given the conversations and we're a couple days removed from it now um how have you tried to make heads or tails out of this uh i'm not gonna lie it's tough like i'm still not okay um chesley Mm -hmm. um if you're in the pageant community is someone that we all looked up to you know, mm-hmm. she was uh, the success story. A lot of people don't really pay attention to pageants unless they're on TV, you know, here and there. Mm-hmm. But those of us that live it day to day, like she was it, you know, she made it the extra correspondent, the lawyer, super smart. Everyone loved her. Like, you know, she's interviewing celebrities. Like she was the one that pageantry gave her that step to, you know, celebrity status. Mm-hmm. And when I saw the story break, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I was in the middle of a football game, I'm a Niner fan, I was like all into it and I stopped dead in my tracks. And I was like, this this can't be happening right now. Like, wow. of all the people in this industry, not her. Not her. Mm. Not her, you know? And um, I finally was able to put some words together in a post today. And I think the reason why it's so shocking is because it could have been any of us. You know, um, my current title is Ms. World Universal, but okay. in 2019, when she won Miss USA, I won my very first national title. So I felt a part of that whole, you know, squad of all the major titles were won by black girls mm-hmm. at that time. Uh-huh. Wow. So, so that's a unique sorority, isn't it? It, it, it was, in, I mean, I've been doing pageants since I was 15 years old. I'm 38 now, and there has never mm-hmm. been a time in my life where black women of all shades, you know, rocking their natural textures, were mm. winning these major titles. I've never in my life seen anything like that before. So I was so right. excited to be, you know, even, even though I'm like a Miz, you know, I'm older and it's, you know, not as well-known pageant, but I was still so happy to be a part of, you know, that moment. Right. Well, let's talk about that. What is it like to be in the pageantry industry and for a young lady or a little girl who may aspire to that as yourself and Chesley did, what kind of world is that in terms of the impact that it has on one's uh, self-esteem, one's mental health, and one's sense of 
uh, having a grip on their own reality. Uh, I threw, threw a lot at you there. Can you talk about the <laughs> a little bit? <laughs> you know, I will say, and I don't, I don't want this to become a, a stigma for pageantry. Overall, pageantry has been an extremely positive thing in my life. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I've met the most dynamic women um, through pageantry. Most of them are my closest friends. I'm in their weddings. I'm their kid's godmother. You mm. know, like I have, it, it's a sorority in itself. I have sisters all over the country, all over the world that I could call on at any moment. Um, mm. The grand scheme of things, I kept coming back because of the sisterhood. Um, because okay. of, you know, I get to interact with women that aren't typical. These are women that are willing to put themselves out there. They're doing dynamic things in their community. They're incredibly intelligent. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's just, it's a different league. You know what I mean? Uh, win or lose, like you're still in that circle of women that are willing to go out of their comfort zone um, mm -hmm. and present themselves to the world. So it is definitely a, a unique group of women. Mm -hmm. um, so Again, I've been competing since I was 15, and I would say the majority of my experience has been positive. Now, of course, with anything that you're in, there's always going to be the downside, right? You are putting yourself out there to be judged by other people. Mm -hmm. Whether it is the judges like that are actually judging you for the title, but a lot of people don't know there's all kinds of Facebook groups and message boards and all of that. And there's people, you know, sitting on the couch behind their computers commenting like, oh, my God, I don't like her dress. I don't like her hair. I don't like her face, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so you're still putting yourself out there to be judged. So you also have to have very thick skin okay. in order to be a pageant girl, a pageant woman. You know, this doesn't it's not just for kids, it's not just for young 20s. You know, we have women in our organization that have titles in their 60s. So this is something that can be mm. a lifelong situation. Mm. Um, but you are always putting yourself out there for scrutiny, mm. um, which can be tough. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm still grappling with what happened to Chesley mm -hmm. because she was hitting everything on all levels, like mm -hmm. amazingly. Yeah. And, um, and I, the only thing I could, I could come to grips with, and it's something that I've experienced personally is, you know, when you have a lot of success in your life, mm -hmm. you feel bad for being sad. Hmm. You, you feel bad for complaining. Cause it's like, mm -hmm. what do you have to complain about? Your life is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You don't have a right to be sad, especially as a woman of color. Okay. creating success you know what i mean like girl you made it like how could you possibly be sad when mm. you know it doesn't matter the monetary things that you collect or the titles or the accomplishments sometimes you're just really lonely sometimes you know mm. depression it's a it's a disease there's sometimes you can't control it right and i've personally been there you know what i mean like I, there's been times where i haven't left my house or apartment for a whole week like i don't want to face other people i don't want to deal with it hmm. but i don't want to talk about that because your life is so great why are you sad oh wow wow and so you feel bad for talking about it yeah well what is the life of someone such as chesley uh, she won and mm -hmm. all those winners won in 2019. So like you said, you know, people pay attention during the the, the spectacle events. So right. when all of that passes, the hoopla right. kind of settles down and then they're into their day-to-day -day lives of being USA. Right. What do their days and lives consist of? What kind of activities? 
Uh, a lot of times it's normal, you know. Um, I've never been on the the big stage of like, you know, Miss USA or whatnot. So I can't speak to what the day to day of that is like. But mm-hmm. it is a job, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's appearances, there's photo shoots, there's you know a lot of things that you have to do. But I think in between those moments you're just kind of chilling. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> um, I know for me, I still got to go to work every day. Like they get salaries and whatnot, but it's kind of, I think it might be, you know, those quiet moments in between. Mm. And um, I, I posted on social media today, like when you have those big moments like that, where we are really being celebrated, um, you know, just after that, unfortunately, was the whole George Floyd incident, which spurred, you know, the, another rise of the black, you know, Black Lives Matter movement. And all of a sudden being black was very popular. You know, mm-hmm. even in my career, my phone started blowing up because all I, no one paid attention to me. And then all of a sudden, everyone wants to do a feature. Everyone wants to do all these opportunities. And I even said, like, it felt like a trend. And okay. it even it still kind of does. And it's like, mm-hmm. so what happens when that trend is over, when, mm-hmm. you know, you're not popular anymore mm-hmm. and you go back to just being a black woman trying to exist in in this world, you know? Right. And like I said, you know, being a, a pageant queen, you have some high moments. I'm about to walk New York Fashion Week next week, right? Mm-hmm. But in between that and my other appearances, you know, it's like what happens in between those moments? Yes. And I think it's those quiet times. I think it's those times where even though there's lots of people around you, you still feel very alone. What comes to mind that the layperson might miss, but someone inside the industry might catch that, might reveal a tale that someone in the industry might need some support? I think that's why this is so shocking because there weren't any tells. Okay. You know, I think all of us comb through her social media. Like, are there any clues as to what to happen? But just like anybody else, do you post your bad stuff on social media? You know, are you going to post that? I haven't left my house in a week because like I can't people right now and I'm not in the mental space to deal with others. You know, do you post pictures that are not flattering to you? Like she has posted before. She was like, there's a beautiful picture of her in a swimsuit. And she was like, what you don't see is that, you know, there's 50 other photos in my camera and I'm standing on my tippy toes because mm. she's only five, six. You know, you expect beauty queens to be these glamazons, right? She's only five, six. She was mm. the oldest Miss USA. She was 28 when she won. And mm. then she won right before the pandemic. She's the longest reigning Miss USA. It was almost two years that she reigned because of the pandemic. Oh, um, but she's saying, you know, a lot of this, she's like, I had to get my angles right. And, uh, you know, I had my friend go further away. So you can't see the frizz in my hair. Like she was still concerned about, you know, the in- small insecurities. Cause once you post that picture, you're going to get ripped apart hmm. piece by piece. Right. You know what I mean? Especially when you have a large audience like that, mm-hmm. if you put something out there on social media and I post this online, it has to be perfect. Wow. So whether that's filters or face tuning or, you know, getting the right angles or all of that. And a lot of women can attest to that. When you post that selfie, yeah, there's about 30 to 50 other pictures that were on your phone before you posted that one, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, people keep saying, well, she had it all. She had it all. And I, and I saw her TikTok and I saw her Instagram. And it's just like no one is posting the bad stuff mm-hmm. on social media. Right. That's you know, and not the real, not the real. Like, I'm not posting like, hey, y'all, I haven't left my apartment in seven days. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. But hey, yay me, I miss World Universal, you know, like hmm. um, when you post, it has to be intentional and it has to be perfect. Man, I'm just trying to think, you know, I we do mental health over here on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Akiva, love so it. I, I'm trying I love to, it. I'm trying to understand uh, some ways to, I mean, I know what I would do at work, but for someone in this industry, how would you help someone? And I'm, and I'm asking you directly if you can answer. How, how would you help someone to, to balance out the, 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 the pattern of perfection being the enemy of good enough and being okay? When is good enough enough? (laughs) I mean, I think that's like the million dollar question, right? And and it's not Mm -hmm. just pageantry. I think it's just the world, especially I think about like, you know, these younger generations, like their whole life is online, right? Like they seek validation from Mm -hmm. likes and comments and views, you know? And I just think God, I wasn't born in that, like I wasn't a teenager in my young 20s during this time. I can't imagine the pressure mm-hmm. of, you know, being on all the time. And unfortunately, I think that's why there is such a high, you know, rate of suicide in young people right now, because mm-hmm. they are feeling that pressure to be on and have everything together all the time. And I think that they're Sadly, is a stigma for asking for help. It's seen it's seen there as a is. sign of weakness, weakness, especially you know with people of color, yes. because we have to be strong all day, every day, whether we want to be or not. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just the simple fact, like, some it's not even okay for us to be like awkward and nerdy, you know. Mm. And a lot of us are. I'm a huge nerd. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like. We're not even allowed space to be comfortable in that. We have to be strong all the time. Mm-hmm. And like I said, whether it's in pageantry or not, I, I think as a society, we have to stop placing happiness with stuff and accomplishments and things and mm-hmm. titles and all of that. Because you can have, I mean, one of my favorite people of all time was Anthony Bourdain, you know? Yes. And you think yes. about somebody yes. like oh, people wow. ask me, what is your dream job? I'm like a travel show host. I get to travel the world and eat great food. Wow. And like, you would think like that man had the best job on earth mm-hmm. and took mm-hmm. his life. Same thing with Robin Williams. You know, this yep. is a comedian that has made us laugh our entire lives. Mm-hmm. Took his life. You have Marilyn Monroe, which was slated as the most beautiful woman in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's not about, you know, being beautiful or having a lot of money or having success or being famous. Like that doesn't equal happiness. And I think a lot of people are striving for that. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of women feel a pressure, you know, with relationships. You know, I, I know she, there. yeah, she mm-hmm. wrote a whole essay about turning 30. You know what I mean? And that's, Mm-hmm. a huge milestone you know i'm almost 40 you know and i'm mm-hmm. and it's on my mind too and you know still being single and not married and not having any children like that pressure wow. um in society of, of what's wrong with you because mm-hmm. you're not married and you don't have children and sometimes you don't want to be married and have children there's something wrong with you you just don't want to or sure. you haven't met the right person or you have medical issues like there's all these types of things that mm-hmm. could happen but you know even though you'd say, oh, it's not 1950s anymore, but that pressure is still there. 
Absolutely. You know, to be a missus. Right, right. Oh, that's fascinating. I was just about to go there. So thank you for uh, giving me a nice little segue. But this is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. We're talking to Akila Douglas, Miss World Universal, and she's helping us gain some insights into the pageantry industry as not only a winner and contestant, but also someone who's a a kindred spirit. Uh, We've been covering on this podcast, the passing of Chesley Christ, uh, former Miss USA, actually the reigning Miss USA, right? You just clarified that she ended up being, because of the pandemic, the longest reigning Miss USA this country has ever seen, right? No, it was, uh, she gave up her title uh, in oh, 2020, okay. but she was the longest reigning. It was over a year. Over yeah. a year. Wow. Yeah. And it's such an accomplishment. I didn't go, I didn't do a deep dive into that essay yet, but I was hearing some people discussing it today. And it says something about, yeah, she's turning 30 this year or she turned 30. And then there was mm-hmm. a sense that she hadn't accomplished enough. It, it's, yeah. Well, Isn't that I'm, amazing? I'm, oh, my God. Yeah, it is amazing. And <laughs> it's, um, wait a minute. So, oh, man. So I, I guess it, it's easy to apply a standard to others when you don't know, you know, until you've walked in their shoes. You, you just mm-hmm. don't know. Just don't know. I mean, she was, um, people don't know, she was a, a division one athlete in college. She was a track star. Mm-hmm. Um, she got her law degree. She was a practicing attorney at 26 yep. years old. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Doing civil litigation. Mm-hmm. And, and then again, like, uh, people don't know the statistics. You're less likely to meet, women are less likely to win Miss USA than men are to be drafted to the NFL. Or NBA. Less likely because the, the odds are real long. The odds, on a the odds, the odds of you becoming Miss wow. USA are less than you be getting into the NFL or the NBA. And she did it. Like, and she got And she did it. And she was top 10 at Miss Universe. And then she just judged. She was a prelim judge for Miss Universe in Israel just mm-hmm. a few months ago. And a cor- backstage correspondent. Like, she, again, like I said in the beginning, if you're a pageant girl, like she was it. She was who everyone was hoping your life would be after you win a major pageant. Because a lot of these women, they win Miss USA, they win Miss Universe, and you never hear from them again. Right. She was the one that was still like on TV, like had this huge yes. following, like she did it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and she did it as the oldest Miss USA ever crowned and one of the shortest Miss USA's ever crowned. Wow, that, see, that's fascinating. With natural hair, with natural hair. And we were just natural like, hair. what? Like, who is this person? <laughs> wow, okay. So when I saw that news again, like uh, breath, like I lost my breath. I could not believe that mm. it was her. Right. Now, given all the successes that she had, if you were a betting woman, because we don't know for sure, but if you were a betting woman, how much of the relationship pressure, the the pressure to pair bond with someone, you know, for a long term relationship or marriage to to have children to, to continue the legacy on? If you were a betting woman, how much of that would you suspect was pressing down upon Chesley Christ in her last days? I mean, I know it's a major factor, but I also like don't want to put that on her um, mm-hmm. because I really, I really don't know, and mm-hmm. I, I don't want women to feel like that's a reason to do what she did. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I know there's a ton of pressure. I'll be honest; like I'm in a relationship now, but I've been single for most of my life. 
Okay. Um, like the majority of my life I've been single and people are always like, how are you still single? You're this, you're that, you have this title, you won this award and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is because I wanted to be, <laughs> you know, okay. there's nothing wrong with me. It's just like, yeah. you know, I, I don't settle. I, I didn't want to, I was busy. I was focusing on my career, whatnot, you know, and, um, my boyfriend now, like, this is probably gonna be the first time I'm celebrating Valentine's day in my whole life. Again, I'm 38 years old. Right on. Um, so I'm hoping that I pray to God that wasn't it. Because the one thing I do, I, I love mentoring. And the one thing I instill in young women is your happiness is not wrapped up in being with a partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I before do. you can love anyone, you have to love yourself first. Um, you have to be okay with being by yourself first. I'm great for going to eat by myself, going to movies. I travel by myself and I know that's not for everybody, mm-hmm. but I, I don't, I don't want it to be that. Although yes, there is a lot of pressure on us to Just be generally, that Yeah. Generally. In general, yeah. worldwide, I know that that is definitely a thing, but she's never personally come out about relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't want to assume or or, or put that on her because, I mean, at this point, we just don't know. Yeah. And we have I, no idea. Yeah. And it's none of our business, really. I mean, <laughs> that. But, yeah, but, just in, <laughs> but just in trying to understand uh, yeah, the motivation, yeah. because I'm wondering what are some of the biggest misconceptions like people say to you, it's like, wow, you're single. And yes, it's it's by choice in many instances. But then there are times when people just heap upon you their expectations about what they you know what they want for you or what they think you should aspire to when it ain't got none of again it ain't none of their business but right Right. and also i mean sorry this is something that's not talked about a lot because Mm -hmm. it seems narcissistic but Mm -hmm. when you're in a level like that and you're at a level of attractiveness Mm -hmm. it's almost harder That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, go ahead. You know, it's almost harder because I think people look at you physically and they expect you to be a certain way Mm -hmm. or act a certain way. And then you have people like Chesley, who was brilliant. If you look at anybody that has been talking about her, Mm -hmm. initially talks about how smart she was. Yes. And I've been in situations where I've been on dates and I'm like, you can't keep up with me (laughs) intellectually. You know okay. what I mean? And you're mm-hmm. expecting me to be a certain way because of how I look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, especially when you get to pageant women, these are some of the smartest women I've ever come across in my entire life. These women, like even my my past pageants are like, they are doing major things. Mm-hmm. CEOs, like sports agents, you know, mm-hmm. PR pros, like these women are doctors, lawyers, like killing it. Wow. Right? And so... You know, you go on a date and of course, you know, you, you know, say you go on an app or something and, and your inbox is blowing up and like it makes you feel good. Right. And then you start mm-hmm. sifting through it and you're like, oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, oh, and then you find like, you know, one or two and you finally go on this date and they're like, oh, I want to buy you this and I want to do this for you and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, you know, I have a job. Have a job. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good on that point. Like, what else do you have? Mm-hmm. And right. um, that becomes a challenge as well because I tell men all the men tell me all the time they're like oh I know men are throwing themselves at you all the time I was like when I go out men don't speak to me mm-hmm. 
they don't speak to me at all. And I told them that and they never believed me, you mm. know, and I don't know if it's a, an intimidation thing or like, oh, there's just no way. And again, we don't want to talk about this because it's like, I don't want to feel like I'm full of myself and things like that. I'm by no means perfect. I'm right. not everyone's cup of tea kind of situation. But, you know, you have these conversations, you want to have some of these conversations, but it can't you feel bad for having them. Because they're like, oh, we're attractive. Mm. You should have no problem dating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, like we have the same dating issues as everybody else. You know, it doesn't matter what you look like. Right. Um, but I think especially for pageant women, um, they're highly intellectual. And mm-hmm. I know the stigma when you look at pageants that it's very superficial, but no, these women are smart. These women are very smart. Mm-hmm. And I think that becomes an additional challenge of when it comes to like dating and relationships as well. Absolutely. Can you think of, because you mentioned Robin Williams, you mentioned Anthony, mm-hmm. and those two deaths, of course, were very shocking when they made headlines years ago. So one or two things, how do you put a smile on your own face and given that there's a lot of pressure to be a certain kind of way absent that 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 stimulus can you leave us with one or two things that you could help our audience with with putting a smile on your own face first oh i lo- i love i love that question uh for me it's my family um mm-hmm. You know, even though I'm further away from them now, I talk to them daily. I try to go home as much as possible. Um, my family is my rock. Me and my mom had a, a very close heart to heart conversation about this because this affected me so much. And I told her, I was like, mm. I get why she did it. I said, but I could never do that to you. Mm. You know, like as my mother, I'm an only child. I was like, I could never do that to you. Yes. Um, because we are so close and, Mm -hmm. you know, I have an amazing career, um, that I love. So I enjoy working, you know, Mm -hmm. which I think is a thing to like, you know, find something that you'd love to do. Um, but whatever it is, like I said, I think it's, um, it kind of helped me realize something. I think it's that in between time, in Mm -hmm. between, in between events or, you know, things that you have to do that quiet time. I think is when we really need to um, figure out those things that make us happy, whether it's a hobby or for me, I also travel. Like I love to explore different countries and cultures and food, mm-hmm. things like that. And um, making that more of a priority lately, I've been feeling like my life, it, it can't be, you know, working, watching Netflix and, and then you're going to die. Like it can't be. That. <laughs> right. That ain't it. You know, that's, right. that, that's not life. So taking right. those times where you do have a breath and where mm. you can breathe to really do those things that you enjoy Absolutely. and being with the people that you love. People. Oh, my God. So important. Well, uh-huh. those are certainly uh, pearls of wisdom to live by. Uh, sure appreciate you coming by. This is Akila Douglas, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you were teasing earlier that you have an event coming up really soon as the reigning, I think you're the reigning Miss World Universe. Am I correct? 21 and Miss World Universal, yes. World yeah, Universal, we'll be, come um, on now. Come on now. Yeah, me and my sisters are going to be walking New York Fashion Week in a couple of weeks. Yeah. A couple of weeks. Okay. When? What's the best way for people to follow you, keep in touch with you, and find out when you're going to be doing this walk with your sisters? 
Yeah, so my uh, Instagram and Facebook are at Ms. World Universal 2021 or Ms. World Universal. I run both pages um, to keep up on all of my future appearances. That is fantastic. Well, continue success to you. And my condolences as a sister, a fellow sister of Chesley Chris. I understand. I, I sense this has been difficult. So for you to take the time to, to share some insights during this time for you, it's really greatly appreciated and continue success to you, okay? Awesome, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yo, this is DJ and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Rome on KCWG, the truth Com, the best internet radio station on the planet. How can I say thanks for all the things you've done for me? Every time I do you wrong, you take me back and you keep on forgiving me. How can someone like you love someone like me? Every day you're faithful, I'm so grateful to have you in my life. So many things I've done to you. If I knew then what I know now You took the blame, the shame, and all the hurt And you really gave me love, yeah I don't know why you love I don't know why I don't why. even know why you're still there Why you still there Because I deserve it Because you want me to have it, have it If I knew then what I know now Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bum School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, it is often uh, a, a very rare thing when someone somewhat shares my namesake. Well, you know, DJ Rome isn't my real name, but this brother really does go by the name DJ. Uh, this brother came to my attention from the, uh, the good brother and sister that comprise official biz. That's uh, Bunny Hearts on keys and the good brother uh, Dwayne Cousins, the rugged on bass. And uh, they put together an amazing project last year. Y'all heard all about it. And they had some tracks on there. And one of the tracks that they featured was by this artist that we're joined by for this segment right here. And he's got a brand new single out called I Don't Know Why. And I want to hear all about it. And I want to hear all about him. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. DJ. DJ, are you there? I'm here. What's up? What's going on? <laughs> What's going on, good brother? How in the world are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? 
oh man, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my thing together. So I see you've had a life of music and that's not limited to just uh, the world of R&B and contemporary gospel. You, you've done a little something of everything. So what can you tell us about how you got started in your career leading up to I don't know why? How did all this get started for you, good brother? Oh, man. Oh, well, you know, as a kid, I've always like sung and and um, my mom noticed that I had a, a liking to playing the piano around about eight years old. Yeah. And bought me my first little Casio keyboard. It was real small, uh, the kind you hold in one hand. <laughs> and so, yeah, so she got me started on that. And then um, my grandmother, she went, she she upped the game on, on my mom and she went to the Volunteers of America and, or what you call the Salvation Army and bought me a little organ. And, um, and then my mom, she upped the ante when I turned 13 and bought me a real rolling uh, Juno 6 106 gen synthesizer and so it was from there you know I just started playing playing in the church and playing for bands in high school talent shows and singing and then in college started a gospel choir um, that's still in in um, operation to this very day and uh, then started you know working for churches playing for churches and stuff like that and on up to today uh, doing some recording uh, I, had, I think I recorded my first album back in 2004, which was called The Gospel According to the Soul. My second album in 2007, which was called And the Good News Is. And then I did a couple singles, started a community choir in 2015, and they're called DJ and Experience. And they're going to be seven years old this year, which brings us up to my third album, my current album that's getting ready to be released this month. And has that single on there. I don't know why. Was that brief? <laughs> Man, you nailed it, good brother. That was a really, really uh, comprehensive synopsis there. So when you start tinkling with them ivories, good brother, how surprised were you? How easy you were uh, as you took to that instrument? Did it come easy and natural for you? Are you self-taught or did you have some formal training? I'm my cousin is I, I really owe all of that to him. He was the minister of music at our church and he was the organist there. And um, and he he was, you know, known as one of the baddest around the whole state of Ohio. And so I just was privileged to be born in that family. Uh, but we it the the ear is natural and it, it is it's even in our family a lot of us sing and play instruments and so the ear was natural but I got my training and, and and all of that from him and then my mom invested in some music lessons but I think it was too far gone because when she started the lessons I had already been playing like whole songs and I started lessons at like 16. Well, like I said, she got me the keyboard. I mean, my, she got me my first keyboard at nine. And I was already playing whole songs by like 10 and 11 and 12. So my ear was really developed. But I needed to learn how to read music. And so that's why she put me in the lessons. Well, I did myself a great disservice because I had piano teachers that were, that were not really aware of the whole fact of playing by ear. And so they would sit the music in front of me and I would tell them, I said, you play it first. And then when they played it, I'd turn around and play it back to them. And they just thought, you know, oh, my God, you're really getting it. Well, it wasn't until I got 17 and a half. I got switched music teachers and this, this guy came in. He was a brother. 
and um, he he was an excellent you know keyboardist and and he put the music in front of me and um, he said all right play this and I said well um, why don't you play it first and so he played it and then I played it behind him and he said to me he said you ain't read nothing on that sheet <laughs> he said you just did that because of what I did and he caught on that I had been fooling my other music teachers all that time playing by ear. And here I am getting ready to go off to college and I read music like a first grader. Man, so you know what movie that reminds us of, right? What's that? Come on, Nick Cannon. Remember oh, that movie? The, uh, the one about the band? Drumline. Drumline, yeah. Yeah. Storyline, you were able to pull that off for for quite some time, right up until a, a big, um, epic moment for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Until I was getting ready to leave, graduate high school, and go to college, and and he shamed me right there. He said, "You you read nothing." <laughs> wow. What ha I mean, that must have been. What was that like, man? Because all of a sudden, did you? develop a sense of the imposter syndrome or what, what did that do to your self-confidence? I mean, it didn't do anything to my confidence. I felt bad because here my mom had wasted all this money for five years of uh, me learning how to, uh, trying to teach me how to read. I felt bad about that. But as far as, you know, my playing abilities, I, it didn't do nothing to my confidence. I just wanted to play more and more and more and more and more. You know, I knew I needed to learn how to read. But at that time, I was playing in bands. I was playing for churches. And reading was not important. Reading music was not important to me. Because I, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Because I was already accomplishing everything that I wanted to accomplish with learning by ear. Learning how to play by ear. Did, did it hurt you? Not, I mean, okay. So I, I just, I did hear you. So I don't, I don't want to make you think that I, I wasn't listening. Did it, did it hurt or enhance your, your skill set? Do you think you would have been as competent as a musician, as somebody who had a, you know, you, you probably had a, a degree of perfect pitch, I would imagine. So do you think, in what way did it hurt or enhance your ability overall? Any way to quantify that? I think it hurt because you know, being in music now, I realize that there's so many gigs and things, opportunities I could have taken if I knew how to read music. So it was definitely to my detriment that I relied heavily on my ear more than I did learning how to read. Now, I can read, like I said, but to the ability at the at the level of a first grader, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that C spot run, Alice, <laughs> you know, that level. But, you know. It definitely hurt me. It was definitely to my detriment. Okay. Well, it takes uh, a humble man to to admit that. So uh, you got through that. And then talk to us about some of the other hurdles that you encountered prior to creating the experience. Uh, was there anything that was as providential as sort of being, quote unquote, found out about that, you know, little secret? And if not that, what else kind of came along that kind of surprised you and forced you to grow in ways that you weren't really anticipating that you needed to? Well, you know, uh, I've been blessed to play in a lot of, you know, I grew up, I need to say, um, in the in the in the Kojic Church, Church of God in Christ. And so, you know, we're not really 
the Kojic church at that time, we weren't really, we were a progressive Kojic ministry. And so we weren't really into hymns and stuff like that. But when I got to college, um, I started playing for an African Methodist Episcopal church. And um, <laughs> I got found out that I didn't know how to read <laughs> because they do a lot of hymns and they do a lot of stuff from the hymn notes. And <laughs> wow. so oh, it was, okay, I got a job with this church and, and they hired me just for their gospel Sundays. I thought, you know, growing up as a boy, you know, every Sunday was gospel Sunday at my church. We sung gospel music. That's all we sung. But when I got into the African Methodist Episcopal Church, you know, they didn't do gospel music, but one Sunday a month. And the other three Sundays, you know, were the traditional hymns of the a African Methodist Episcopal Church, Negro spirituals, anthems, things that I knew nothing about coming out of the holiness church, as we called it. <laughs> so I, I had to learn, uh, you know, how to become more fluent in playing in keys that, you know, that we didn't play in and in, in necessarily in in the Kojic church. You know, we played in B flat, C sharp and F, you know, uh, F sharp, you know, never D, never A, never B, you mm -hmm. know, didn't do something those keys and so these hymns are in these you know these keys c natural and a natural and stuff and so i had to learn very quickly if i was going to have a job uh, as a musician i had to push myself to become more fluent in those keys and in those hymns Ooh, man <laughs> i used to study music in college too when i was a music major thought i was going to be a guitar player back then but i remember taking theory classes i took about four semesters of music theory and we were learning counterpoint and we were learning key signatures so when you say c sharp i haven't read music in forever but i remember c sharp got a lot of sharps in it <laughs> so if you're not used to that i mean i guess at the end of the day it's just adjusting the pitch of your you know to the song i guess but if you're reading it and you still have to anticipate certain notes are going to be flatted and sharped compared to, you know, just being in the key of A, for example. I mean, am I anywhere in the ballpark with this? <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, you know, for, you know, I imagine for guitar players, so it's a little different, but, for, you know, but it's about fingering, you know, and for keyboard players, you know, you got to you got to have the right type of fingering, you know, to grab the chords, you know, and and again. I didn't know how to do that. Now, my music teachers was trying to teach me how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't paying attention. You know, I just wanted to just play. And so, yeah, um, you you got to know all of that kind of stuff. And, and some of it, even today, you know, as far as the correct fingering and stuff, I'm sure I don't have that down. And mm -hmm. I've been playing 30 years, I've learned how to maneuver around it and, you know, get the job done. I have become more fluent in, in all the keys, you know, cause you get, you get embarrassed. I remember one time, quick, funny little story. Um, I was playing at, at a full gospel Baptist convention uh, for the state of Ohio and Vicki Winans was uh, the guest artist. And so I was the state minister of music. And so Vicki Winans came on stage, you know, and or came into the pulpit and she started singing long as I got King Jesus in the key of E natural. I wasn't fluent in E natural. I was a young man. I was in my 20s. And so she started to she sung it with the track. And when the track ran out, you know, the musicians got to pick her up. And so I got on that organ 
trying to fumble my way through the key of E and I'm playing for Vicky Winans, man. She turned around and I'm telling you, if I, if, if, if her eyes could have shot knives at me, I'd be dead today. <laughs> wow. Cause I did not, I couldn't pick her up in the key of E natural. And so I just kind of slid off of the organ bench and somebody else slid on and picked her up. And I tell you what, from that day forward, I said, I will not be caught with my draws down, so to speak, and not be able to pick up an artist because they're in a key that I'm not familiar with. I'm gonna have to familiarize myself with these keys. That's wow. <laughs> wow, that's that's trial by fire right there. So I, I guess the lesson is, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I said trial by fire and traumatic all at all at once. <laughs> Man, did you ever get another shot like that with Vicky Winers or anyone else of that stature? Like I, I've played for other artists, played for Marvin Sapp. Uh, by the time I got to playing for Marvin Sapp, you know, I was right there, you know, uh, with with the keys and all of that. Um, uh, play our choir. We opened for Marvin Wines uh, when I was in college. Um, and man, let me see. I, I, uh, I, I've done, you know, just kind of played behind some some artists. Played on Bobby Jones Gospel Show. Uh, played with Brent Jones, and uh, so yeah, I, I've been able to, you know, play with some 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 great artists. Man, God has been good to me. Well, I tell you, this is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome. We're talking to the good brother DJ. He's here breaking down uh, music fundamentals, ladies and gentlemen. All you young, all you young musicians out there, listen to this brother, man. I mean, th these are some life lessons right here. So, man, thank you for sharing those gems. Speaking of gems, you've had an opportunity to work with Official Biz. Uh, can you talk to us about how you came in contact with Bunny Hearts and Dwayne Cousins, The Rugged? Uh, how did that dynamic come to be man we i've been knowing uh the rugged for so long i think i was somewhere playing at something and i think he approached me uh about playing with his group playing keys for his group and um I, you know i had just i hadn't been in california that long and and so um i was like yeah man sure you know and so started playing uh, keys with his group. And then he, he talking about, well, you sing too. So now he throwing a mic in front of me, got me singing and playing. <laughs> and uh, so we, we've had a good long relationship um, from that. And then um, I think things uh, just got so busy for me as far as playing in the church. I think I was playing for multiple churches, probably like three or four churches and, and kind of, you know, that was taking up a lot of rehearsal time because I was married and had a family, you know, and I had to put bread on the table. And so um, I kind of had to uh, bow out from the group, but it never hindered our relationship, man. Dwayne's good brother. And uh, so then we picked back up, I want to say in uh, 17, 2017, and uh, he was working on his project and he asked me to come and sing some background and, and do some, you know, chords and stuff for his stuff and then we started working on my project and bunny came into the picture and uh they are just two amazing people great hearted good hearted people giving people accepting uh man i could 
I could go on and on about them. I love them. I appreciate them so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll go on on a limb and say it's hard to meet people like that in the business, right? I mean, yeah. that that that's something that you cannot uh, take for granted because they're they're out there for sure. It's like that's what that's why I encourage people. It's like there's levels to the music business. I mean, you can meet some snakes. You know what I'm saying? You can make some pure, pure serpents out there, but then there's a lot of good people around there, you know, provided that that's what you bring to the table yourself. So when you get into the process of singing background um, and you started working on your project with Bunny and the Rugged, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the tracks that you worked with them on, including this latest single called uh, I Don't Know Why? What was that like? So um, after we worked on uh, Dwayne's project and he released it, I just told him, I said, well, actually, I was, you know, working on something for my choir. And um, he told me, and a, and a few other people had been encouraging me. They were like, man, it's been a long time since you put out a DJ project. You know, I see you working with this choir. And this is what he said to me. He said, I see you working with your choir, you know, and you're doing good and all that, but you need to do a solo project. And I wasn't really down with it because I was just getting ready to focus on my in energy and attention on the choir, DJ and experience. And so he said it to me one more time. And, he, and this is what he did. He hooked me. He got me in the studio and he started playing some of the tracks off of my first two projects. And he was just like, man, this music right here, this is what we need. This is what we need. And so I was like, man, you serious? He was like, I'm telling you, you need to do a, another solo project. So I said, well, I'm gonna need y'all help. <laughs> so, and, that, and then it went, it went from there, man. We just started doing tracks and, uh, you know, I was doing, uh, I would tell him, I say, like Janet Jackson, give me a beat, you know? So he would lay down this, this rhythm track and then I would come and put some chords and, and bass over the top of it. And then it just built a track from there. And that's how it went. Man, there's nothing more flattering than someone um, sort of interpolating your work, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that really got you. I, I they, mean, I can only imagine, feel, right? Go ahead. They made me feel like I was somebody. They really did. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, I wasn't fit to do no more solo projects. I was going, like I said, focus on my attention on my choir and their their project. But Dwayne had it a different way. So thank God. Just thank God for them. Man, no doubt. God had other plans for you as well. So talk to us about, I don't know why. Um, is this a song that you wrote by yourself or in collaboration with both uh, The Rugged and Bunny? Uh, talk to us about, I don't know why. So the um, the beat came from, from uh, The Rugged and um, I just kind of laid a bass line down to it and some chords and, and then, um, came back the next time with some lyrics and then uh bunny put her magic on it uh when i was singing and you know putting on, on the vocals and and stuff like that and uh that's how it came came to be man i don't know why and she uh, we like i said we were doing all this other music all these other tracks and, and she was like that's your single and I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's probably some other stuff on here that is. And she's like, nope, nope, nope. That's just a single. You need to put that one out. <laughs> so I said, okay, Bunny, I ain't going to fight you. We're going to make this one the single. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you, you're dealing with some serious musicians here. They, they know their stuff. I know for a fact Bunny Hearts is classically trained. So, 
Yes. You know, and given the experience that the rugged and you have had in music with your instruments, um, y'all know what you're talking about. And I heard you twice mention you put a bass line down. So how many instruments do you play? I only play keys. So when you say you put a bass part to it, are you fingering it out on the keyboards or are you just kind of humming it so that yeah. rugged I can play it? I played it on keys. There you go. And then sometime I would tell Reggae, you know, no, nah, you usually put the real live bass down. He like, no, nah, I'll do the synth bass or whatever. So we kind of went back and forth on that, you know. Mm. Synth bass. So, man, talk to us about that before we let you go, because what do you get out of a synth bass sound that you don't get out of uh, strings and frets? Well, nothing, I will say this, nothing can replace the sound, Come on. The sound of a bass. You know, I... <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't even refute that, but you know, when you got a synth, you know, being a church musician, I was raised that you got to be able to play the whole song, you know, with just the organ and the drums, it's got to be a full sound. And so, you know, my cousin raised me like, you got to be able to play the bass in the song as well as, you know, the chords in the song, you know, so you got to, you got to make, you got to make up for all the instruments that you ain't got on Sunday morning, you know, that the artist had in the record, you got to make up all, all the instruments you ain't got on the organ. And so, um, I, you know, I, I, my left hand is, is very fluent on, on the bass, you know, in on the keys. And so sometimes, you know, when you got the synth bass, you know, it gives you that, that 80s sound, you know, or whatever that you might be looking for, you know. Um, and, and if you don't have a bass player, you you can make it happen <laughs> man some of my favorite songs i know we're talking about gospel music uh dj but some of my favorite songs of all time were done all due respect to the electric bass but synth bass man take me to the next phase by the isley brothers chris jasper yeah went yeah. down and you remember uh that group called the system with mick murphy and david frank never forget them and David Frank would put down that. I'm like, what? Can you? Play? I mean, and then, oh, oh, <laughs> I'm really dating myself with this one. Remember back in the '80s, brother. Remember that group Kano? Um, uh, it, it ended up being uh, the 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 rhythm track to Whoop. There it is. Yes, 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 yes. Kano, man, uh, I'm ready was the name of the song. Do 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 do. I'm like, what? I'm like, I, oh man. So yeah, I, I bet you like really wicked with your left hand, brother. <laughs> I'll take you even further than that. You, you remember, I, you probably, I'm really gonna date myself. You remember the uh, the group uh, Kasha Gugu, the song called Too Shy. Yeah. Too Shy, Lush, Hush, I Know Why. Yeah. That's synth bass, man. <laughs> oh snap, he took yeah. me back. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> You talk about going back. That's my thing. Now I can I can take you all the way. <laughs> but dude, you went to Kaja Gugu. Who who does that? <laughs> right. But that's some of the coldest synth bass, man. Go back and listen to them. Or Stacy and Kimiko. Uh, wow. Uh, uh, what's that song? Tell me will you be there? Be there for me. Or Shanice Wilson when her first album came out, synth bass. I mean. Ooh. Yeah, and I remember that was 1987, brother. I was working at a record store when that first Shanice Wilson album came out. She was 14 years old. 
And I was 15 and was mesmerized by whoever it was that produced that album. I can't remember his name, but I was. Oh, man, wasn't it? Uh, not Chucky Booker, but somebody we know, I think. Oh, man, I'm going to look it up. I got to look it up. Uh, oh, man. Um, Discovery was the name of the album, I think. Something like that. Yep. It was called Discovery. I'm literally looking it up, man. You got me thinking, brother. You got me thinking. Uh, but I got to see it on Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Come on, come on, come on. We run out of time, run out of time. Hurry up, hurry up. Man, I don't know if I can find it soon enough. But yeah, I know what you're talking about, man. I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lay down that producer and, and figure out who it is. Oh my God. I can't figure it out. Baby, tell me, can you dance? He's yeah. so cute. Uh, just a game. Who was the producer? Oh my God. I mean, if, if this were a live show, uh, Brian Loren. That's it. Yes. Lollipop I, Love. Remember Lollipop Love? Yes. Oldest <laughs> basses ever played, man. Ever. <laughs> man. Okay. Okay. Synth bass, man. All right. All right. So, uh, man, th th this has been fun, man. Uh, what's the best way for people to keep in touch with you? How soon can we hear and get uh, I Don't Know Why? And what's the best way for people to keep in contact with you, good brother? I don't know why it, the single is already out on all digital platforms right now as we speak and go to YouTube, iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify is out and ready for your listening pleasure. Um, the album uh, Expressions is soon to come this month um, mm. and will be out. Um, you can see or find me on um Facebook under DJ D E J A Y E, not just D and J, but D E J A Y E. I had to find a way to spell it, you know, so I could be a little different. And then you can find me on Instagram at Hey DJ um, and on YouTube under DJ. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet. At the intersection of funk and soul, my name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Time, and it repeats on Friday evening from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very special guests for the evening, Akila Douglas, Tamara Harrison, and of course, DJ. Also want to send a very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.